Welcome back to Roll for Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart at the center of enterprise IT. This week, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to take a trip back in history. We're going to go all the way back to the distant year of 1995, so last century, even last millennium. And we're going to talk about what we were doing back then, what tech we had, and what would most blow the minds of 1995 us if we could take it back there and explain it to them. Why don't we go in alphabetical order, Lilac? <laughs> I didn't realize L has rapidly usurped D in alphabetical order, Dominic. But <laughs> I would have been a bit rude for myself to go first. I was going to call on you lot in alphabetical order. He, he works in numbers, not in letters. Works in numbers, <laughs> not in letters. This is the problem, see? Misrepresented himself as a Shakespearean scholar. Um, I... <laughs> 1995, I was in college and I was in a CS program and I had, um, I think, recently upgraded from the 8088 system that I had been bequeathed when the family computer got upgraded. And I remember thinking this thing is not going to work um, for me anymore, though the full depths of my uh, programming needs in college were connecting to via Telnet to a VMS system <laughs> in order to learn Pascal. But, you know, we had moved forward into a visual basic class, and therefore I needed something with a GUI. And so I remember pooling all my cash and buying myself, a, I think it was a 386 computer at the time, with a fancy new 85-pound monitor. And that, that was where I was at. It was living in my dorm room. Um, uh, I don't know what it was even doing. It was, it was a hell of a lot better, though, than the, the 8088 that I'd managed to ruin the prior year. My goodness, yeah. Fond memories. There's uh, one of my first computing experiences was a uh, ancient Olivetti machine, amber screen, on, uh, amber text on black screen, even, and one of those round goldfish bowl screens. Uh, wow. It wasn't an eighty eighty eight. It was a couple of generations past that, but yeah, strictly text mode only. But uh, uh, I had a Vic twenty before that that I used to hook up to a regular TV. That was wow. kind of yeah, yeah. And it used to be like a regular like cassette tape that I used to put programs on and load up, which was also scary. Yeah. In basic? Were you writing in basic? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Before I knew what basic was, I mean, I just picked up a manual and started following it. But yeah, that's my, my geek past, my geek past. But I was learning how to ride a bike in 1995. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you guys remember, okay, this is the point of some contention in my home. So I feel like maybe you guys can settle a very long-standing bet. Do any of you remember text-based Oregon Trail? Text I don't think based. Oregon Trail made it over this side of the pond. Americans well, keep telling me about <laughs> Oregon Trail, and it's been remade on the iOS uh, platform. And I have very no idea what you guys are either. talking about. Really? Oh, see, this is the problem with you both not actually being American. So Oregon Trail, of course, is the... <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, I feel... This I feel is a core problem. No, this is this is it. It's your lack of Oregon Trail knowledge that's really bringing this whole thing down. Um, Oregon Trail tell you know walks you through the um, incredibly oh, whitewashed experience of of crossing across America with Lewis and Clark, um, and um, in the process, right, you have to fend for yourself. You have to keep dysentery at bay and kill buffaloes for food and so forth, and and death is almost completely certain, but. Everybody I know experienced. Yeah, Mike, you must have seen of... the meme images. You have died of yeah. diphtheria and with yeah. some really bad pixel graphics. 
That's all so the bad show. pixelated graphics was a version that felt like a step up from my personal Oregon Trail experience on the 8088, in which in order to shoot the buffalo, you actually had to type the letters POW, P-O-W, and then it would tell you whether you'd succeeded or not. Um, <laughs> nobody remembers this experience but me, and I'm beginning to think that I have some sort of embedded memory hack in my brain. You dissociated at some point. Yeah, a bit of a throwback. I found some uh, text mode only dungeon crawlers at university, but that was already 1998. But mm. playing those was a good way to goof off because it ran in a terminal. And in the days of GUIs, anything you're doing in a terminal is by definition work. So <laughs> I, I learned text mode web browsers. So they're great fun as well. Uh, mm. Just it's text in a terminal, it's, it's work, obviously. You can goof off to your heart's content. What was that browser that we, I remember when we put Netscape in on all the lab computers in college and it was, had taken over, over one that starts with an M. Mosaic. Thank you. Yeah. But, but wow. that became Firefox now later on. I mean, that's what. It that's did. How, and CSA yeah. Mosaic. Yeah, exactly. It became yeah. Netscape, became Firefox. I've used all of these oddball browsers. I use Cyberdog, which nobody's ever even heard of. That was Apple's web browser prior to Safari. I still get confused when people are like sharing their screen and all of a sudden they open their browser and they're using like some like Firefox or Opera or whatever. Opera, right? Yeah. And they're like still out there. curious about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's so it, it feels so awkward, but okay, you know. Um, and they say okay. legacy tech is not well alive and well as everybody opens <laughs> up their Firefox window. <laughs> <laughs> we know, we know. So okay, so we've got your three eight six on your desk with uh, with with a GUI, but if I remember correctly, without an important component, a maths coprocessor. Is that I had the no same machine? Coprocessor. No, uh -huh. no, I couldn't spring for that extra budget. You know, I I, I actually paid for it with a, a poetry scholarship. Um, <laughs> oh, that's the most rock and roll thing ever. <laughs> yes. uh, the poetry scholar who's the real really a hacker. That's that's awesome. <laughs> Hackers Stripped are very strong words for my technical skills. <laughs> Let me tell you actually how not a hacker I am. So when so when my father gave me the uh, 8088 computer, it was um, it had the benefit of having spent many many years on his desk and also being used as like the game tool for me and my sister, and therefore it was imbued with a number of food crumbs in the keyboard. And I decided that this was just not up to snuff. And so intelligent me pulled all the keys off and decided to clean the whole freaking thing up and then i had to turn the thing back on and press all the little buttons to know where all the keys were one by one it took hours i know this well because in <laughs> not in 1995 but uh shortly afterwards in 96 uh armed with the irresponsibility of youth i marched into my local apple shop which is not the apple store those did not exist at the time and demanded a job on the basis of i know max and what do you do with with that walking in your door uh, with all the floppy hair and plaid shirt that you can imagine in 1996, uh, which is 100% come back, by the way. I happened to have to buy a birthday gift for a teenage friend of the family, and I bought him basically what I'd have been wearing in his age. at his age. He was overjoyed. He's been wearing these clothing items all week. He's not been out on them. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you can get him a 386 as well. Maybe it's going to be the next big thing. Uh, but yeah, so they set me to doing all the scut work, uh, in, which included cleaning the keyboards of machines that had come in uh, as trade-ins for resale. So I know how to clean a keyboard. I know exactly 
what you find in keyboards. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, God. Mike, what was on your desk at the time? What were you doing with it? Man, like, I think we, I went from an 8088 to 46, but that was probably 96, 97. I still remember my first like experience on the internet, which was a friend of ours got us into a university lab and it was like, yeah, mosaic. And that must have been 94, 95 or something. And I, I just remember it was just, you know, you're looking at this thing and it was, you know, but we're, we're just looking up like companies, pictures, and it's it's kind of weird, right? I mean, it was mainly movies and entertainment at the time really different feel than, than what it is today. I mean, we didn't, there were a cool. lot of spinning animated gifs and I think you're really downplaying that. Oh, geez. There were <laughs> the animated gif was like crazy. People building websites with spinning globes was like the, the most hilarious thing. The ever, right? but, yeah, yeah. But before that, I mean, it was, um, yeah, I used to go on a lot of BBSs, right. To dial up and into them. And, um, yeah, just a, a network of, of, and, and it was all like word of mouth, right? If you if you knew people, which was kind of weird. I mean, at the time, if you think back, it just feels so so awkward and so so long ago. But it really wasn't if you think about it. I mean, it's just changed so much recently. Yeah, so, uh, that's another place where it's different on this side of the Atlantic because we didn't have free local phone calls. So the BBS scene was stunted by that because if you dialed into the BBS, you had to deal with that's all right. of the same stuff with the modem and someone else picking up the phone line halfway through your downloads and everything. But also there was a ticking counter in your head. Oh, that's another 200 lira. That's another 200 lira <laughs> on the whole time you're connected. And so that, yeah. that was a, a big issue. I, I did a little bit of BBSing, but very minorly compared to what I'd have been into if I'd been somewhere with free uh, calls into it. It was interesting by the time I got to university, because then you, you find out that some of like, you know, you start to get comfortable with some people after two or three years of being with them, locked in the same program and all that. And then people start to tell you what, what they were up to at that age. And yeah, some of them had maybe some shady pasts. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that was probably the most interesting. But um, yeah, and, and by the time I got to university, then it was like, yeah, the first experience was Gopher and then it went, moved from there. But it was still Windows 3.1, Windows 3.1 or Windows 3.1.1 that then went to Windows 95 that kind of started a pretty big revolution, I think. Yeah, and that definitely. was a takeoff. That was liftoff for Microsoft. I just want to take a moment and, and say go for again out loud. Um, and, <laughs> and also, I think there was Archie and Veronica. I think they were all named yeah. after... Yeah? Oh, God. There was Those definitely Archie. Days. I don't think I've heard of Veronica. I uh, feel as though there was a time, and I'm just sort of I'm, I'm throwing myself back, when... Yahoo actually tried to organize the internet into a directory structure. Isn't no, that, that was true? how Yahoo works. Yeah, it had human curation. And you would go to Yahoo and there would be uh, 20 new pages and you'd look at each of the 20 pages and that would be it. You'd be done with interneting for the day. <laughs> oh, how Yahoo had fallen. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Some I mean, big historic mistakes. Yeah. So there you go. There's our first tip for current day as or future as we should really get back to a curated internet where someone just tells you, look, these are the 20 things you need to look at today. And after that, you're done. The rest of the internet is fine. <laughs> <It's there. laughs> just ignore it. Just ignore it. Yeah. I need someone to do that. I would pay for that service. Uh, so from my side, 1995, so I was a Mac kid already back then. So I had a, a Mac LC 
with a 68020 uh, Motorola CPU and no FPU. So we were in the same boat there at least. But uh, compared to Windows 3.1, even Mac OS 6 and 7, it was, it was like a spaceship. And the machine itself, the hardware was no great shakes, I'll admit, but the, the operating system experience was a whole other level. And uh, and then, so we have this uh, timeline of computer history page that we'll put in the show notes that you should take a look at. But if you load that up in the year 1995, the top item is the B-Box is released. So not in 1995, because I had a 68020 CPU, but a couple of years later, when I leveraged that computer store job into getting hold of a 603E uh, machine, I ran the BOS, and I still have my original BOS developer release CD. So that is something that I keep around more as a memento mori because those of you who know the BOS do know the story. Those of you don't, indulge me for a moment. So what happened was some ex-Apple employees left Apple and they founded this new company, B Inc., uh, which had hardware and software operating system tied to it, uh, much like the Apple model. And... I not nobody will admit to it. I'm pretty sure the original plan was always to sell it back to Apple, which was floundering. Its operating system was not great. Its uh, CPU strategy is was falling behind the, uh, the state of the art already, and it almost works if it hadn't been for that pesky Steve Jobs, who of course had also left Apple, founded his own company, Next Step, uh, Next with the Next Step OS. And that was, of course, the one that ended up becoming the new Mac operating system. B came so close, and they had some amazing tech in you know, 1995, 96, 97. It was you know, leaps and bounds ahead of the Mac OS on the same hardware. And it just died horribly. <laughs> so, so it's, no, nobody, uh, nobody ever adopted it, right? That was the, the real problem, no? Exactly, exactly. So it's uh, it's a reminder for me that technical excellence isn't enough. You also need a solid business plan and go to markets and all of that jazz around it. You can't just rely on having the coolest product uh, of the day. And somewhere there's like a hundred people that worked on OS two that are just cheering for that story. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, same thing exactly. Well, there's so many of those. So many of those. So many. It was good times. But, you know, I uh, it was an interesting time because I think there was a I remember while I was in college studying CS, which obviously had a you know limited traction with me. I wasn't going to be writing code for 30 years, but I started with Pascal, a language used nowhere, um, but but sort of notably antiquated even at the time on a VMS system, which was also notably antiquated and 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 also sort of. I was learning Turbo Disney. Pascal at the same time. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, right. That was the time, and then and then we moved to Turbo Pascal, and then but as I was graduating, you know, everything was C, and and then as like my final semester, I didn't take the class because Intro to CS was now Java, and it really had just pivoted in that time that I was in college. Um, and it's just interesting to think back to all of the technologies that I was studying in college being essentially, um, let's say, passe, like <laughs> sort of rapidly, right? Like I took relational database classes and um, like just... Boo, relational databases, boo. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> but it, it, it's just really interesting to sort of think back to what felt very state of the art at the time. Uh, you know, Motorola flip phones hung on on the pockets of anybody who was cool in a, in a holster. 
You know, though, is it any different today? I mean, if you you think somebody who goes into CS, I mean, from the time they start to the time they finish, I mean, it still changes quite a bit. I mean, the only reason there's stability is because we have some big players now who are hard to disrupt, right? I mean, that's the well, only yes reason. and no. I mean, there's still a lot of very lucrative Java jobs out there, and uh, so the half life of these technologies is a lot longer, I think. Um, <laughs> but I've always said this, and this is maybe because in high school uh, I was studying in dead languages and whatnot. It, it's not. You are a very Renaissance man, Dominic. You were going to be studying <laughs> Latin and Cobol. <laughs> you probably was. Latin and Greek and Turbo Pascal. Yes. But, and basic, not visual basic, basic basic. No, uh, regular basic. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. I, very little of what I used in university was uh, oven ready, even when I walked out with my freshly laser printed degree. And most of it is now completely uh, obsolete. But the point is, it exposed me to a bunch of different things that gave me the basis for picking up whatever else I needs to do. I'm, I did my grounding in, in Java. I never worked in Java, but I got the concepts. If I had to pick up Java again, I could. Uh, or if I had to pick up another language that inherits from Java, I could do that, that sort of thing. The big thing that I think is missing now, and I see it with my kids, is it's very, very hard today to get an immediate result in the way that we did with our text mode only environments. You could, you know, get to Hello World quite quickly in a in a command line. You know, even more basic, you know. 10 print a low, 20 go to 10. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wow, I, I got it to do something. And then you tried to complicate it from there. Java was the, the first example. C++, I hated C++ because it was just so much work to get it to do anything. And I got the theory that if you're trying to you know, build a bridge, you need a tool that's capable of building bridges. But it's like, what if I just want to lay a plank across a stream? Well, you still need all the bridge building infrastructures. Ah, <laughs> it was very, it's true. very frustrating. And you see that going more and more. That's one trend that I think has continued in the web world. When we were messing around with Mosaic and you know, Netscape, early versions of Netscape, you could view source on a web page, figure out what was going on, copy and paste the relevant bits into your own GeoCities yeah. page. Can't do that anymore. Can't do that oh, anymore. Oh, God, no. Yeah. Is it? The level of effort required, yeah, yeah, really complicated, really sophisticated. But then again, we now they got no code, low code, and like I, I think a lot of people believe like because it's like called no code, low code that it's less functionality, but it really isn't. It really isn't. Can I say that anytime anybody says no code, low code, I think back to that horrifying drag and drop interface of Visual Basic in 1996 and think to myself, are, are, how far are we from that? Let, let's just be real. <laughs> How far have we progressed? Because that was horrifying, and and the resulting code made anybody who could write code like twitch, just completely but, but, explode. But but that's because people want these like barriers to entry. Where oh, what you're going to give this to everybody now? No, this is too easy for everybody to do. I I still remember like my mind being blown by Visual Basic, right? The, especially right. when the first like Visual. And I don't know when the first Visual Studio came out, but they 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 didn't oh the auto completion and the IDE that was incredible. <gasps> yeah, right? I mean, even the yeah. color tagging was kind of a, a blessing. Yeah. 
yeah. Meanwhile, the geeks are still com- still saying, "Oh no, you should develop an EMAC or, or VI or whatever." And and yeah, and here comes Microsoft rolling in. I mean, those were the early days, right? So how will you ever learn if you don't put the semicolons in yourself, Mike? How <laughs> exactly? <laughs> Hand hewn from pixels, you grew yourself from seed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I you know the satellite misses Mars because somebody forgot a semicolon. And that's yeah. right. <laughs> Kids today. There you go. Yeah. Or you could have used Microsoft and that semicolon would have been there automatically. There you go. Uh, but the password wasn't and anyone could log in and destroy you. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon? Too soon. Too soon. Too soon, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm a throwback because even my final year project, I was SSHing into the sun machine at school. Uh, kids ask your parents. Um, <laughs> to, to write my code against Oracle. Um, but I was using Vim with color coding. So that, that worked. It's kind of best of both worlds there. I, I was just thinking back to what I was, you know, the, the ridiculous sun machines and so forth that were on my desk. When I graduated in 97, I went to go work at Argonne National Laboratory, which had supercomputers <laughs> on my desk. <laughs> on my desk, I was, so I was building um, the, basically the demo environment for a virtual reality running on a, running on a global grid. It was crazy. And I'm like, I mean, that's way overplaying the story, by the way, because I, I was not that technical. Um, but on my desk was an Iris machine and a Solaris <sighs> box, both of them <laughs> on my desk. And I just remember thinking, what were you even doing? <laughs> like, and how did that come to pass? <laughs> like, how was that a thing? Those were beautiful, though. God, those Gorgeous so machines, those Irix machines. Oh, yeah. oh wow. Yeah, I remember. That no idea what sh- you guys. No, no an idea SGI, what you guys are talking SGI, about. SGI, an SGI system, and I had the little desktop SGI, which was sort of the. It was like a teal-colored little bump. It was like if 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 Hobbit made a computer. Curvy. And, yes, it was so pretty. Sorry, back in the data center, there was this Irix supercomputer that took up the whole room, and I think we called it Yukon or something, and it was. Like a giant, like if, again, if a hobbit wanted to live inside a supercomputer, that would be how they would design it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, these things were insane. I'm going to look for a picture to send you, Mike, and we'll put it in the show notes for the listeners. But the the thing is, I, w- I remember in, yeah, late 90s, must be 97, again, that computer shop thing got me to this Mao, which is like um, a Comdex or something for Italy, is the big computer industry trade show was bigger then than it is now and they had one of these things brand new set up in the booth and it was rendering live in real time in the classic vr demo uh, 3d demo it was mm-hmm. a spinning ring of glass over rippling water but it was rendering it live and all the nerds were standing in front of it going, wow it was probably running in you know 800 by 600 res or something your phone <laughs> yeah. would blow it away today but at the time it was the best way to spend $20,000. <laughs> I remember we used to run, so the interns, I was an intern at the lab and there was these these VR demos and they had a, um, a cave, which was like a, a walk-in virtual environment where you had, you know, a floor and two walls. So you actually genuinely felt like you were in there. And there was this super pixelated low res experience where you could walk upstairs and jump off the top of a virtual staircase or building. And it was called the cathedral demo. And, the, I will say this now, I think it's way, way beyond the statute of limitations. Like a whole bunch of the interns ended up getting high in the weekends and going in and like, like just looking at this thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> there was some vomit in the room. I won't lie. <laughs> mm, mm, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, apart from the obvious, uh, 
our collective uh, 1995 minds would all be entirely blown by the power of an iPhone 13 Pro and being able to carry that around and the bandwidth and the, the memory and the cameras and everything. And I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff that would be just incredible. Uh, the flat screens, flat screens. Remember those monitors? I had a 20-inch Iyama monitor on my desk. I'd specially reinforced my desk to hold the beast because it weighed about as much as I do. Monitors were such a big deal at some point. I mean, because they were so bad. I mean, and they've just gotten bigger and bigger and better and better. But now I think there's like, they'll last forever. I feel like they didn't used to last forever back then. No, no, because a new one would come out that was better. I mean, I ruined my eyes uh, in, in the sense of not being able to accept bad monitors by hanging out with graphic designers, because obviously yeah. the main the main customers yeah. of an Apple shop in the mid nineties is graphic designers, uh, and this place also sold, uh, you know, f- uh, twenty five thousand dollar flatbed scanners that scanned in A three at ninety six hundred DPI, and so I was completely spoiled for anything, and I went out and spent far too much as a student on this twenty inch Yama tube. It was 1600 by 1200 max res, which these days is nothing again. But in the late 90s, it was huge. We used to spend as much on monitors as people do on iPhones today. I'm just sorry. I I really feel like we need to put a pin in this because Dominic absolutely still behaves like this and speaks of his impending new monitor on possibly every other podcast. (laughs) It is absolutely true. I'm looking forward to my new monitor. <laughs> yeah, he'll never get it. He'll never get it. At this point, I've given up. Yeah. No, no, no. If they haven't uh, released a new Apple monitor by Christmas, I'm going in. Uh, it's it's a sign. Yes, of course it is. Of and course see. it is. And I'll put my Opal webcam on it. I think that actually the thing that would shock 1995 me, apart from all the other things that would shock 1995 me, is that um, my the computer in the car... <laughs> is now like a thousand mm. times better than anything I'd ever seen on my desk. And, and, and that I just rebooted the car this weekend or my husband did right. Um, a couple of times. Um, and, and just that whole notion of the ubiquity of this kind of technology um, far beyond that, that use case of what was sitting on your desk in your office. Yeah. I think the ubiquity is the big thing. Computers used to be, in a place and you went to that place to compute and then you left and you were no longer computing and the the, the mac lc it lived on a cart in the, the living room of my parents home and there was a dot matrix printer with a box of fan fold paper underneath you know with the sides that you could rip off yeah. with the little holes yeah. oh, it was amazing and you know when you were away from that there was no way to access it uh, there was uh, you, you're no longer computing even at university my first year of university i was in halls and we had 10 megabit ethernet feed in halls but the second which was you know incredible but the second year we moved out of halls and i got a zipper drive with massive incredibly huge 100 megabyte discs uh, and that was how i would schlep data back and forth to the university uh, 100 megabits a time i worked and in the, a computer lab for sure a place you went to compute Yes, exactly. And the idea that now you're never disconnected, you're never away. In fact, it's more the opposite. You're more connected from your phone sometimes than when you're sitting down at your big computer. It's uh, that would probably be the most surprising thing to me. I always dreamt of having a bigger computer, physically bigger, apart from anything else. And these days, the computer's tiny and it fits in my pocket. 
Yeah, you're always connected now. I mean, there's nothing that's not not connected, and we're trying to connect more and more. So, the computers everywhere, computers everywhere. Even where you don't want them. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that might be a problem. Yeah, why did you connect that to the internet? That's the the, the new question now. There's you a ask. man with an Alexa behind him right now. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> No Alexa, Alexa <laughs> <laughs> no Alexa in this room, yeah. 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 Apologies to all the listeners whose lights just got turned on. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should replace that with a different keyword. Uh, what is it? Uh, Gruber does hate Ingus. That's the one. Hate Ingus? What? No. <laughs> <laughs> this me, me and Lilac are both staring confused at Dominic. What's now. even happening, Dominic? <laughs> uh, so John Gruber of Daring Fireball fame on his podcast, when he has to refer to one of these smart assistants, so as not to name it and trigger it, he says, "Hey, Dinkus," and the command, and so that he can continue the conversation without triggering his listeners' devices. That went over my head. Uh, that is incredible. So, basi- uh, so basically, there's a hack to make sure that on a podcast, you're not ordering other people's home devices. Yeah, order Barbie home cinema. <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is exactly the kind of problem that I think if you told 1995 me in a bar, and I shouldn't have been in a bar in 1995, let's be clear. But if 1995 me were in a bar and you said to me, well, in the future, there's going to be recorded chit chats between people who may or may not have ever known each other in real life. And they're going to concern themselves with how to phrase their their examples so as to not trigger listening devices in, in their listeners' homes. Like, I would be like, what? Oh, but sorry. Why? <laughs> I was promised a hoverboard. Ah, <laughs> no. oh, yes, Back to the Future 2. And it shows up at the front door. That's how it all starts. Yeah. Yeah. But 1995, we probably should have started a bookstore online. That's the key. That well, that's the, the key. takeaway. You always yeah. and, gotten it, and gotten it listed on Yahoo. <laughs> that would have been a good choice. Yeah. With the human editors. Yeah, that's the, that's the way to go. And that is how we got to, to where we are with a bit of an acceleration from a small worldwide pandemic. It wasn't very enterprisey this week, but it, it was entertaining. And I think it's certainly a reminder as if one is needed once again, but you can't plan too long-term because someone is up to something that's going to completely upend your world almost certainly and make it very, very different from what you're expecting. Uh, ask HP. Oh, no, you can't. They're not around anymore. Ask Silicon <laughs> Graphics. Oh, crap. Ask Sun. Oh, no. <laughs> that's okay. Oracle is forever, Dominic. <laughs> eh, we're working on that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, Oracle and IBM are the, yeah, no, no comment, but yeah. <laughs> see it coming. Yeah. yeah. And on that happy note, we'll leave it for this week. And we'll hear about what Zach was up to in 1995 uh, after he's done smashing plates. But until then, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been Roll for Enterprise. You can follow the show on Twitter at Roll for Enterprise with the number four on our LinkedIn page. All of the links are in the show notes. The theme music is by my good friend, Renato Podesta. Please do send us suggestions for topics, stories about what you were up to in 1995, and all guests for future episodes. Thank you, and have a great weekend. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone.